Happy New Year, everybody. It's so good to see you. I was thinking, everybody here this morning, you are the ones that practiced moderation last night, so... (laughs) Well done. And no judgment for those at home watching online, like, you know, hey. I had a professor that used to say, practice moderation at all times, including moderation. So, you can be moderate about moderation occasionally, but uh, anyway... Good to have you guys all here. Um, You know, I want to just begin with a short little um, segue into something that rather tragic that happened recently for um, our beloved Pam and John Capone, who um, just about a week and a half ago lost their son and um, in a tragic accident in the middle of that snowstorm that hit and um, Anyway, you know, I, I think as we go into another year, there's a reminder of the, the brevity at times of life, um, the difficulty that can come. But um, gosh, man, their son, Joey, I loved that kid, and he was brilliant. And um, anyway, it just breaks my heart. So let me just take a moment, and let's pray for them and remember them this morning. And God, um, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for every moment that we have. God, thank you that you draw close to the brokenhearted and ask for you to draw draw close to John and to Pam right now, to hold them tenderly in your hands. And um, for all of us, God, let us be grateful for today and and let's uh, look out for each other as well. Let me just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, 2023, I don't know, how many of you are like New Year's resolution type of people? Yeah, a few, yeah. It's kind of our one model of change, right? And um, and generally speaking, we know that it doesn't go so well. Let me just say quickly, the Bible recap group that made it all the way through the Bible in a year, way to beat the odds there. Um, I, there's a Babylon Beep. They kind of are this like spoof on a little bit on our Christian culture. They post something each year where it's like, good luck on getting halfway through Genesis and quitting your Bible in a year plan or whatever. It's kind of what happens, right? So not so with our Bible recap group. Um, Made it all the way through, which is fantastic. Um, Patty shared a meme with me the other day that said, um, I'm not making New Year's resolutions next year. It's time for circumstances to step up this year. Like, hey, your turn, guys. Come on. Um, uh, but but the the truth is like with our time our time is precious and how we use it it matters we have choices and um we have this sort of investment of this time given to us and how we choose to spend our days ends up being how we choose to spend our lives i you know, I love Tolkien, and, and he would say in his Lord of the Rings myth that the gift to the elves was immortality, but the gift to man was their mortality. That somehow the, the brevity of our lives adds a certain weight and value to it that we might otherwise miss. The, the elves who live forever like end up like suffering this sort of meaninglessness, and they end up traveling overseas in this sort of um, malaise, whereas men are holding on passionately to their, to their days. There's a, a psalm um, written by Moses, actually, Psalm 90, 
where he says this. He says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. You... It's my son. Way to go, Gabe. <laughs> Sorry about that. You sweep them away with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. And then later in the psalm he writes, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And leading up to Advent, we talked about wisdom and how it comes from often uh, investment in things that we wouldn't necessarily naturally assume, like humility, like a fear of the Lord. These are sort of the, the bedrock attitudes of the heart necessary for wisdom to grow. And here Moses is saying, number your days. This is one of the ways to have a wise heart. And Plato famously said, I think he was quoting Socrates, saying the unexamined life is not worth living. And I always think, how would the unexamined life, if, if you didn't examine your life, how would you even know that it's not worth living? But, but anyways, I, he says the unexamined life is not worth living. And as I think about that, I think probably what he's getting at is that some of the joy of life is in the examination in the reflection. I mean, for instance, what is gratitude? But examining your life, noticing the gifts, noticing the things that God has given to you. And I think there's something about a new year, a, another cycle around the sun that, that gives us pause and allows us to reflect back, to think back on the year we just were through. Patty was talking about reading through her journal, going back through all the things that happened. And, and the truth is, especially as we get older, you look back and go, man, weren't we just like, wasn't it just January, right? That's, um, I forget who was that said it, that like after 65, Christmas comes every 15 minutes. <laughs> like, boom, another one. Wow, another one. But um, the truth is, I mean, time does have that effect where the, the more of it you've lived, the faster it goes. Um, but it's interesting when you go back and read through, if you're journalers or that kind of thing, or even just go back on the calendar and look at what happened. And actually quite a bit happens in a year's time. How important for us to look back and to see it and to see God's hand in it because counting our days, part of it is, is reflecting on how we're using that time. It's possible to grow old and not wise, right? How we choose to live and, and savoring, reflecting, learning, and growing from our lives is so important because I think God is at work in all those details if we're there to notice. We, we talk about our church uh, Kind of our, our mission is that the, the church would be a safe place to heal and a brave space to grow. And I think those are two interesting lenses to look at life, aren't they? 
healing and growing. And, you know, we'd like to think that maybe there are seasons to heal and seasons to grow. But the truth is, I think all of us participate in that all the time. All of us have need of healing. It's just a part of life. I, I like this guy Schopenhauer says that we're all porcupines in a snowstorm. You've heard me say this before. Porcupines in a snowstorm, meaning we're going to freeze to death if we don't huddle together. And so we do and go, ouch, right? Like as we get together, we poke and we bleed and the sort of pain of life, this inevitability that, that we are hurt along the way. Some of it is circumstantial. Some of it is our own choices. But the truth is God uses that healing to do deep work in our lives. And I think about growth. I think about how we, we can so easily have an understanding of spiritual growth, similar to like graduating from college. Like at 22 years old or however long you go through school, you're like, all of a sudden you're done and you're graduated and your education is over. But the truth is, this is not how life is. That life is an ongoing education from birth till death. That all of us have an opportunity at all times to continue to grow. And part of living well, part of having a wise heart, is an open heart, a teachable heart. That's part of the humility. And I like wisdom as a trajectory for us. It's, it's much different than accomplishments, isn't it? But so often when we think of growth, we, we tend to think of growing in skill, growing in competence, growing in a list of achievements, building a resume, but, but wisdom is something different. Wisdom is much more a matter of who you are. It's your character. And so much of what Scripture has pointed at is developing in us wisdom. In fact, I think Scripture is written in such a way to develop our muscles of wisdom. It comes through wrestling. It comes through challenges. We would like to think that we would grow during the easy times, but generally speaking, we don't. It's in the struggles, it's in the suffering. This is where real growth occurs. And think about your last year. If I were to say, how last year did you heal? And how did you grow? Something may come right to the surface for you. Sometimes it's clear and it's obvious. Other times it's, it's not so obvious. It's a little more subtle. But I think it's worth paying attention to. Seeing through those eyes of gratitude. We've talked about how wisdom is something that, that really, if, if done right, it, we peak much later in our lives in our wisdom, don't we? It's very different than kind of the, the natural sort of skill set towards influence and um, and power that those things tend to peak a little bit earlier in life in fact innovation they say peaks about 30 which is so depressing <laughs> right if you're waiting for your next big idea man it's probably not coming like people have a brilliant idea so often when they're young in fact they're saying like einstein these guys they were like 22 23 when their big idea hit Patty's arguing with me, but I'm not going to argue back. If I've learned anything last year, don't argue back. <laughs> That's my growth edge there. Um, so you're saying Einstein didn't? 
Well, anyway, patent clerk, right? Come on. Anyway, um, but, but so often these guys will have this idea young, and then they'll spend the rest of their life building it, right? And, and Which is beautiful. I think that's a wonderful trajectory of life. But when we think about wisdom, wisdom generally doesn't come until we have some years behind us. Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. That good. <laughs> I read that globally we spend like $52 billion on anti-aging products. And there's something in the wisdom of this, right? That's saying, oh, wait, wait, right? While we tend to value the strength of youth, do we really understand the splendor of wisdom? I think if we understood that right, I think we would be far more relaxed about aging. Although it's not for the faint of heart, this is for sure. I think as we look at our last year and think about this, there's no question that, that all of us are aging, moving on, struggling with different things, but paying attention to what God is doing in this. I think this to me is kind of the opportunity for us today. And I thought I would love for us to spend a little bit of time reflecting. And I thought I would put it through this sort of lens of um, looking at our life. Uh, well, here's a little C.S. Lewis for you. He, he says that, kind of uses sailing a ship as a metaphor for our lives and says, here's three questions that everyone sailing in the sea of life needs to ask themselves. Number one, the seaworthiness of their vessel. Number two, am I sailing in such a way that it's safe, that I'm not colliding with other people? And number three, where am I going after all? Like, what is what is the end? And I thought it would be interesting to look at this question of growing and healing through the lens of our physical lives, through the lens of our relational lives, and through the lens of our vocational lives. And seeing this through the lens of, as well, the, the value of our days. Counting our days. Savoring our days. I added this up, by the way. And I think I have, I was going to pose it. The number of days I have left is 13,295. Actually, 94, because I did it yesterday. <laughs> That's if I live to the average expected age today, which is 88. But thinking about that, right, it just keeps ticking away slowly. And as I think about that, you know, I, I think about physically what is going to maximize the, the health of my later years. Our lives, how we live our lives today matters incredibly in how the, our later part of life will be. I read a book this week, one of the books that I enjoyed and I don't think Tom liked it, but it was Arthur Brooks' Strength to Strength. And, and in this book, they do a survey. It's all these students at Harvard that graduated years ago that they basically followed through the course of their life all the way from graduation till death. And they're saying with this cohort that they looked at, that happiness overall, a general sense of well-being, was tied predominantly to how they invested in their health. It's interesting, like a stewardship of their body, what they ate, how they slept. 
how they dealt with the emotional stresses of the day, how they cared for themselves. He said they they treated it like a 401k for health. And I thought, gosh, you know, as we look at our lives, as we think of ourselves, it's easy to sort of separate the spiritual and the physical. but, But the truth is it's so combined, isn't it? And some of us, as we're thinking of next year and thinking about how we might grow, probably need to be a little bit more careful how we're investing in our physical state, in our emotional state. Are you getting enough rest? Are you eating good food? Today in our meal afterwards, Sherry, let me know everything's organic and it's all clean food. So (laughs) January 1st, we can begin. But while that might seem petty, some of you might need to jot down a goal for next year of where you might grow. Some of you, when you think about healing, might have things going on within you that you need to be paying attention to and leaning into. This is not to create anxiety for you right now, but it's a reminder for us that taking care of ourselves, this is part of stewardship of our body. Scripture tells us that we're a temple of God. And so I don't want to go overboard on that. And I think there's a lot of vanity sometimes in how we care for our bodies. Again, I mentioned the anti-aging products, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a general sense of health and well-being. And how maybe even in there, there's a little bit of vision. When I think of last year, I think one of the, the sweetest things about last year for me was getting to walk so much with my wife. We were going to do the Camino, and, uh, and so we had a physical goal of going like, look, we need to be comfortable walking 14 miles a day, day after day, so let's train for it, which is fantastic, right? Those first like five-mile walks, I was like so sore afterwards, and pretty soon you could just cruise that, no problem. So staying active paying attention to those things. Some of you might need to set down a a growth goal for that. And if that comes to mind, I would say, if you can think of something that's going to push you a little bit, some sort of vision for that. Maybe you want to go run a 5K. Maybe you want to learn how to surf. Maybe you want to get back into surfing or actually get better at surfing. Whatever that is, um, Jot it down if you're taking notes. What might be a growth edge for you next year physically? But moving forward, you know, into Lewis's metaphor of the ship sailing and not crashing and colliding with others. The, from Arthur Brooks' study, he would say out of this list of like seven things he recommends, and like I said, like six of them are about health, the seventh one, but he said by far the most important one, is relationships as far as the deep value and contentment for people at the end of their life. And not just relationships or number of friends, but long-term friendships. So I thought, gosh, isn't that an interesting one? Because long-term friendships are hard, aren't they? I just We were just in Seattle, and one of my very best friends lives there. And so he and I grabbed lunch, which was fun. And we're talking through life, and now here we are in the middle of our lives. And so there's, there's issues to talk about, things that we're both going through. Um, it's a little bit more sobering, you know, talking about life at this stage. Um, but when I think about my friend Lars, I think, man, we had some hard seasons, times where I was like, 
I don't want to be your friend anymore. And thinking about what it took to make it through those times. How some of that is what I value now. Having to pursue each other when it was difficult. Having to apologize for things that I shouldn't have said. Having to to endure at times. I love that verse in Romans 12, 18 that says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And thinking about last year, I don't know about you guys, but you may have lost some friends. And and I think about this during the last couple of years. I remember David Brooks writing an article on this saying, all of us statistically lost people in our inner circle, right? And that's not like, oh man, I missed that person. That's like divorce. That almost feels like death sometimes. That things have just grown so agitated that it's split friendships and relationships that might go back decades. And I was thinking, looking ahead as we think about goals and how we live our life, are there any relationships that you would like to see mend? And what might you do to lean into that and make peace? As we talk about becoming wise, I think this is what wise people do. They move towards it. And I'm not talking about going into a situation that's toxic where you might like just get abuse heaped upon you. Like It's not about that at all. But I think in so many ways, it's about keeping doors open. And I think oftentimes it's so easy to just slam the door shut. And I'm not saying that you should go after every single hard relationship that's broken and try to mend them all at once, but maybe there is one or two where it's time, time to reach back out. As I think about everything in my life as a parent or pastor and all these different areas that I feel like I get immense growth through doing, there's there's no bigger one for me than my marriage. And when I think about how I've grown last year, I'm like, no kidding, it's my marriage with Patty and the gift of that. Because the, the truth is marriage stretches us and pushes us. And I mean, I think of years ago, I remember we were having an argument and I caught myself in the middle before I said something really bad. And she was like, just say it, Jeff. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to know how selfish I am. And she goes, yeah, I see it anyway. So, and you're like, oh, I, I think this is like wisdom, like learns to like remain in the truth, right? To ask that question, like, what is the effect that I have on the world? Nothing shows us this more clearly than relationships, long friendships. But but the truth is, nothing yields to me greater joy than remaining in those things. Because what comes through that is intimacy. It's what comes through lowering our guard and learning to trust, seeing our weaknesses exposed and leaning into that work. 
when we talk about a brave space to grow, right? It's like that vulnerability that makes us squirm. And most of us are so good at avoiding that. We put our lives together in such a way that, that it feels like impenetrable. But we're missing the good stuff when we do. It's not like God is this glutton for punishment where he wants us to stay in vulnerability because he likes to see us squirm. He's saying, no, 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 this is where the heart gets free. Free of all its self-denial, free of all its possessiveness, free of all its self-absorption. It's how we learn how to love. And so thinking through how would you like to grow relationally next year? Where is it that, that you might have more courage in relationships to be more vulnerable, to turn the other cheek where necessary, to enter back in or to persevere. Our last category is vocation. And vocation, Lewis is going to say, you know, as he's bringing up this metaphor, where am I going? This, this is the one that, that most people aren't even really asking this question, that, that they tend to, to live this third question in a way of just accumulating experience. But, but what you end up with is a ship that's just sort of sailing in circles. And when we think about what is, what is the purpose? Why am I here? What am I here to do? This question of vocation, this is so intimately, in my belief, connected to wisdom. Into who you're becoming, as opposed to what you've accomplished. And when it says that the, the strength of youth is their glory, I think that so often we, we stay in that sort of mindset where the power or purpose of my life is how impressive it is how it appears on the outside. And we're reminded again and again in Scripture, this is not what God is paying attention to. That those things matter, and it's great for us to accomplish certain things. But what God cares about internally in us is that heart of ours coming to life, growing in its ability to love, releasing its grip, on its pride. And the truth is there's a plan and a purpose for each one of you. And God's already at work stirring that in you. So how do you, how do you give yourself to this purpose? I read this from Frederick Beekner, and I think it's worth uh, repeating here. He says, by and large, a good rule for finding out our vocation is this. The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that you need most to do and the world most needs to have done. If you really get a kick out of your work, you've presumably met requirement A. But if your work is writing TV deodorant commercials, the chances are you've missed requirement B. <laughs> no judgment. I mean, that maybe that is your thing, but... On the other hand, if your work is being a doctor in a leper colony, you've probably met requirement B. But if most of the time you're bored and depressed by it, the chances are that you have not only bypassed A, but probably aren't helping your patients much either. And he makes this statement, and you've heard me say this before, but he says, the, bla the place God calls you 
is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And man, we could sit with that one for a long time. But I think as you look into this next year, what a great lens that is, isn't it? Where does your deep gladness in the world's deep hunger meet? And this is what God is after, helping us find this place. This is what wisdom seeks after. That place where our joy can be poured out selflessly. We say that our mission for our church is becoming like Christ for the sake of others. And the truth is, I think that is this sort of intersection where our joy connects to sacrificial love and we're able to give with open hearts. And I don't know if this is ever found in the perfect job. I don't think that's what I'm talking about as much as who you're called to be in that whatever role you find yourself. And how God has this way of shaping that over time, which is why sometimes he places us in situations that we wouldn't choose or in circumstances that we wouldn't go after that that turn out to be just the right thing for drawing out that deeper value in us. I've told you this before, but um, my name means peacemaker. And my parents always thought they misnamed me growing up because I was always the one that asked the wrong questions at dinner. Like, why do we believe this? And they're like, Jeff, this is not peaceful. But, um, <laughs> but it just, it was how I was wired, right? But, but I've, I've learned to appreciate that like, oh, it's that peace is found by, by leaning into the questions, not by resisting them. But figuring out who I am, at times thinking, oh, I'm who I am needs to be restrained. And that's probably, there's truth to some of that, that there are parts of me that certainly can use restraint. But, but generally speaking, understanding just who God has made me to be. But that's not because I'm a pastor, it's because I'm a human being. And God has done that in every single one of you as well. And I think this is the question God loves answering more than anything, is who you are. I think God spends our whole lives showing us who we really are. I love that idea that, that, you know, we're told in Scripture that when we get to the next life, on the other side of the veil, that God hands us this stone with our name on it, our true name. But I think honestly in this life, God is showing us that over and over. When we think back on last year, Where do you feel like God showed you just a little bit more who you are? And often it is in moments of suffering or in moments of courage, in moments where you step into something that you don't know you can do. I um, was given this uh, keychain from Toby at the start of COVID that it says courage. It's this line from Atti- that Atticus Finch says that courage is when you know you're licked from the start, but you get up anyways and you keep going and see it through. Sometimes life has felt like that in the last two years, hasn't it? Where you look at it and you're like, oh, I'm beat. <laughs> and you just show up anyways. And you see parts of yourself there that God wants to show you. And that is often very different than what our world pays attention to. 
that we love things that are shiny. We love things that are impressive. We love the strength of youth. And some of you are young and you have that strength. That's so good. It's so good, right? Nothing wrong with the strength of youth. But it will fade. (laughs) And as we set goals and trajectories for our lives, it's worth keeping that in mind. I was just watching that little animated thing that came out on um, that book. Have you read the book, The the Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse? Yeah, yeah, so good. I love Charlie Maxey, the guy who writes that. It's just fantastic. But there's a great line in there where the mole asks the boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, anybody know? Kind. And I think, oh gosh, that felt like wisdom right there. What do I want to be when I grow up? Kind. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, here's what love is. It's patient and it's kind. And wisdom has this way of sort of softening us as we age. But there's a pain and a sorrow to it too. I I think that, you know, People write about this all the time. I just read an article that this woman was saying, really the effect that she feels of aging is that you grow more and more invisible. I don't know if anybody can relate. I was thinking of that on Christmas where Patty's grandma was with us and she just sits quietly and watches, right? And all the commotion, all these things is, you know, focused on the kids and it's so good, right? But I think... As you age, the wise can sort of disappear. I think this is why in Proverbs, you have a father saying to his son, like, you go find it. Go search for it. Why? Because it's not obvious. And it tends to move towards the fringes. One of my favorite things that I see on a Sunday morning is when young people in our church go find the sages in our church and sit with them. Good for you when you do that. You're tapping into that deep, quiet wisdom. That scripture tells us is like gold. And this work, this is a work that is offered to every single one of us, regardless of our talents and our abilities and our appearance and all these other things. This is the work that God wants to do is to make us wise, to make us soft, to make us kind but we do sort of disappear a little bit to the fringes. Lewis says that um, the wise sages become like the secret society, right? That nobody notices, but they live in this sort of freedom, this spaciousness of life. They have room. They listen to others. They're not so consumed with themselves or with their uh, their performance and able to really notice the ones who are being left out. He talks about it like this secret society and he says, you know, to put it at its least, it must be really fun. And he says, though he's not one, he's starting to recognize them. But I think as we look at our lives, we realize that's our invitation as well. To lean more into that deep work that God is doing. And the truth is, when we look at our lives, I don't know about you, but when I look back on my years, I think, gosh, I could have done a lot more than I've done. 
It's easy for me to look back on my life and think, wow, I I sure blew that, or I sure could have put out a little more effort there, or what if I had just done this? It's easy to look back and feel a level of regret, and some of that is probably has value for us. It might put a flame under us to to try a little bit harder, but, but the truth is, in all of us, that as we look back on our life, I think we can't help but see the brokenness. And I think this is where, to me, like the deep hope of Christianity comes in. Where God reminds us, this is the work that he is doing. I love that verse in Ecclesiastes that says, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And there, sorry, this is the second Tolkien reference, but he's got this book that he, or a short little story he wrote called Leaf. Leaf by Niggle. Niggle's the artist that, that paints. He's got this plan to paint this tree and every single leaf is, you know, he spends all this time doing it so intricately. But in the story, he keeps getting interrupted. He's got a neighbor who's a gardener and he's horrible at it. And he keeps asking him to come help him. So he's constantly like dropping the ball on this and um, getting distracted. And eventually he gets sick and ends up, you know, bedridden from this whole thing in this project that he's got that he meant to get to. And people have said that this is Tolkien writing about himself. That while you might look at his work and think of him as prolific, he certainly looked at himself and realized he could have done so much more. In this story, eventually he's freed from this like hospitalization. He's able to finally go on this journey that he's been meaning to go on all this time, only to find this forest that I think for Tolkien represented the afterlife, where he comes into this forest and sees the thing he's been trying to paint his whole life there before him. And his neighbor, the the poor gardener, ends up there as well. And together they end up creating within this splendor. And I think what Lewis realized is that all of us are sub-creators in this life. All of us have just these simple little brush strokes of good that we can do. That even giving our whole life to wisdom only amounts to something that's very modest and humble. And the reminder for us is that we have a God who is an artist that takes those humble things and does something magnificent with it. This is like the ah, the hope that doesn't keep us from leaning into the work, but always reminds us that this never rests in our hands. I love in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In this last line, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as we set these goals for our life to heal and to grow as we look forward, we, we realize oh, that we are being led, that we have a God who is working behind the scenes, doing deep, beautiful work in our hearts. The best thing that we can do is to trust, to lean in with humility, to let him like form this in us. I pray that as we go into this next year, 2023, that we would look forward with hope, not in our efforts, but in God's rich mercy, great love, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Each of you is his workmanship. Each of you possess a beauty that won't be fully realized until the next life. And yet the work that is being done in you is of eternal value, preserved in heaven, ready to one day be revealed. This is what we celebrate as we go to the Lord's table. As we begin our year, we're going to begin with communion. We celebrate his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God's sacrificial love is the fullness of his truth and his goodness and his beauty. It's what's represented here. Restores our past. It sustains our present. And it fills us with hope for the future.